0: I love that. Well, as we start the message today, I would like to introduce you to someone special to me. This is my nephew, Noah, and you can tell by his smile there. He is a pretty joyful little guy. So this is my nephew, Noah, and And he has two sisters, my nieces, Hannah and Lizzie. They're not in the picture, but this is the youngest son of uh, my sister, Rachel, and my brother-in-law, Sean. And they all live in Houston, Texas. And you see what I did there? I said, they all, y'all live in Houston, (laughs) Houston, Texas. That's coming back to me here. But I wanted to introduce you to, to Noah because he said something a couple weeks ago, and my mom actually was the one who told me about it, that is so relevant to us today, and it relates to the text that we're going to look at. So about three or four weeks ago, my brother-in-law and sister Rachel, their family, needed a new refrigerator. So they got a new refrigerator, it was delivered to the house, and as they were getting rid of the old one and putting the new one in, and my brother-in-law was super handy, and he put in the water, hooked up the water lines, and lo and behold, the next day they woke up, and there was water All over the floor, and water had run. There was an old pipe and it just burst and it ruined all of their floors. And any homeowners out there can imagine what that would do. And it turned their house upside down. So, look at this next picture. So, in the middle of COVID, and this was right around Thanksgiving time, this is their living room. And I did ask my sister's permission so I could show her their messy living room. Their house was just a mess because contractors were coming in and they had to get all new floors and the insurance was working with them. So you can imagine a a family with young children in the middle of COVID, in the middle of the holidays, it was just a mess. And my little nephew Noah had had enough. And so when I was talking to my mom just a week or so ago, she said that my sister and little Noah had spent the night at my parents' house because their house was a wreck and Noah needed a break. And with tears in his eyes, one morning, he looked at his mom, my sister Rachel, and he said, Mom, when will it be normal? (laughs) And those words just hit me because the reality is while little Noah's life was turned upside down, his whole world had changed. It was uncomfortable. Things were uncertain. His room wasn't the same. This wasn't the house that he grew up in and he knew and he could not understand. The reality is, I've been asking that very same question over the last months. And I'm sure you understand that you probably have been asking that very same question. When will it be normal? Many of us right now, like I said, are asking that question. We're tired. We're stressed. We're mentally exhausted. And we're ready for the uncertainty and the ever-changing times just to stop. If we're really honest some of us are angry we're agitated we're depressed and we're really at the end of our rope as your pastor i shared it in my weekly update this has been an exhausting week i am feeling weary and mentally tired i have hope i have faith i'm excited to be your pastor i'm excited to be here at acac i know and believe god is working but in the middle of that I'm weary. Nearly every day I've spent time making phone calls, praying with people in our congregation that have been afflicted with his terrible disease, COVID-19. I've spent time talking to staff who right now are fighting this disease. Their loved ones are fighting this disease, as well as many other medical issues. We have healthcare workers that are burned out and exhausted. In an elder meeting this past week, one of our congregants and elders shared and looked tired. He's at Children's Hospital working, and now they're receiving adult patients because the hospitals are overflown. Many of you watching this, doctors, nurses, physician's assistants, you're mentally fried because you're working, not just working hours, but you're being overwhelmed with weariness around you. Students are trying to get through Virtual schooling, which is exhausting and really hard, and then not to mention the parents that are trying to keep their kids accountable to it. My own son, a senior in high school, his senior year has been turned upside down. We have no control over that. Basketball season is canceled, and in his world, that's really important. And moms and dads are trying to talk their kids through it, and it's exhausting. Not to mention small business owners, restaurant owners that are gonna be shut down for the next three weeks. They're struggling financially. They're exhausted. And we're living in a world that is weary. What a way to enter Christmas. (laughs) What a way to hear and to sing songs like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Or as we even sang today, joy to the world. Yet, for the Christian, for the Christ follower. The Bible actually tells us that we're to rejoice in times of weariness. We're to be joyful in times of pain, joyful in suffering. Now, some of you might say, Pastor Allen, are you really standing there and trying to tell me that in the midst of my exhaustion, in the middle of my hurt, in my pain, in going through the mental and physical exhaustion and weariness that I'm expected to be glad, to be happy, and to rejoice? Who does that? It's not human. It's not natural. Well, if that's you, I don't believe it's an accident that you are here with us today. And I want to remind you about this book before we go on. The significance Of God's Word, Holy Scripture. We live in a world and a culture that many look at this as antiquated, something of the past, a history book at best. But let me remind you, and I believe with all of my heart, that this is not an antiquated book filled with history of people, of stories and Promises and rules that have long been since passed by. No, this is the living and breathing word of the living God. The living and breathing word of Christmas. So, as we think about what it means to rejoice in suffering, I want to go to that book and look at several verses. Look at these with me, if you will. This verse is from James the brother of Jesus. And James writes in his letter, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, what does he say? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let's look at the apostle Peter. He writes, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, Peter says, be very glad. How about the Apostle Paul, which I've mentioned in the past, has written two-thirds of the New Testament. He says to to his letter in Colossians, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. And you may think this is just the apostles or disciples in the New Testament. But Jesus himself says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, God blesses you When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you were my followers. What does Jesus say when that happens? Be happy about it. Be very glad. Rejoicing in weariness. Having joy in the midst of pain. Honestly, it's not instinctive at all. It is not natural. But even in the midst of that, we have to understand that the unanimous testimony of every writer in the New Testament and Jesus Himself is that Christ followers, believers in Jesus, should not only expect to encounter suffering, they should rejoice in the midst of it. Here in this Christmas season, We have so many who are weary, so many who are facing suffering and pain they have never imagined. Today, I believe that God wants to strengthen his church and to lead us to an understanding of what it means to have joy in the middle of pain. And as I referenced last week, a very familiar Christmas lyric, we learned last week what it means to have a thrill of hope. Today, and the title of my message is actually my prayer, that we would see the weary world rejoice. Father, we come to you at a very unique time. I do not believe it is an accident at all that you birthed this message of what it means to have joy in the midst of weariness and suffering for this weekend. Because from the beginning of time, you knew what we would be experiencing right now. So while for us, some of us are in shock, some of us are exhausted, some of us are numb, you are not, because you are the sovereign God who was and is and is to come. So would you come today in your strength and in your power in only the way you can? Amen. So what does it mean to rejoice when you're weary? What does that even begin to look like? Well, before we talk about what it does mean and what it does look, I want to address some misconceptions or what it does not mean to rejoice in weariness and suffering. Here's the first thing. This is what it doesn't mean. Rejoicing in suffering, rejoicing in weariness, is not having a grin and bear it attitude. It's not toughing it out. It's not rejoicing about how much you can take, how much pain you can take. It's not just hang in there until you're over. You're over it. You see, many people feel if they can just do that that they are fulfilling God's call for us to rejoice in suffering. But that's not what it means to rejoice in suffering or weariness. There are non-Christians, non-believers who can do that. In fact, many people pride themselves in how much pain they can take. Kind of reminds me of the movie Rocky, where Rocky Balboa just was a glutton for punishment, and he just took as much pain as he possibly could. He endured It's not what it means to rejoice in suffering. Sometimes people who are not Christians, they put you and I to shame. They put other Christians to shame by how many things they can take without complaining. So rejoicing in suffering is not merely just being able to take it. Here's another misconception about rejoicing in suffering. It is not enjoying pain or being glad in the midst of tragedy. Having joy and suffering, it's it's not about actually enjoying the pain. It's not about being happy that you're experiencing a tragedy. Now, there are people in this world who enjoy pain. They seem to live for it and even seek it out. You probably know some of these people. You know what they're called? Masochists. (laughs) They like to torture themselves. You've probably met people like that. People who are not happy. Unless they're miserable, you can take their pain away from them, and then they're really wrecked because it's their misery that gives them a sense of contentment. But this is a twisted and a distorted view of life, and it is not one that is biblical. Here's the last misconception that I want to address. This is what it does not mean to rejoice in weariness. It's pretending to be happy or joyful. We can't pretend to be happy or joyful. This is It's fake, it's phony, and it's very unauth- unauthentic. I think you know what I mean. Some people think though that rejoicing in suffering means that you're to pretend to be happy or to put on a smile or to put on a joyful attitude when you're out in public or with people that you know that you should put on this artificial smile, act happy, and sing, don't worry, be happy, when in reality, the inside of your heart is hurting and filled with pain and exhausted. These types of people, you may know some, they could be Christians who even casually quote scripture verses and say things like, when you ask them how you're doing, well, I'm doing good because God works all things together for good. And while that promise is absolutely true, it is said and expressed in a way that seems to be unreliable and fake. True faith, true Christianity is never fake or phony. Phoniness of any kind is a fake Christianity. Nowhere in scripture does God ever ask us to be unauthentic or phony. But no, God calls us to have a genuine, a real sense of rejoicing so this leads us to ask how do you and i get to a place where we can have genuine joy in the midst of weariness and suffering what does this mean what does this even look like And what role does the birth of christ play into our rejoicing and suffering i want to look at one main text today and it's in the book of romans and if there were people with me today, I would have them stand and read this. I'm not going to ask you to stand today. Wherever you may be, if you have your Bible, open it to the book of Romans chapter 5 or your phone. They're going to put it on the screen as well. But here's what I am going to do. I told you, I believe this book is the living word of God. And it's alive. So I'm going to have you read it with me. So right where you're at, in your home or your car or your office, if you can, say this aloud with me. Chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So how do we get to a place where we can rejoice in our suffering or rejoice in our weariness? The apostle Paul, we just read the answer. He gives us the answer. Let's look at that verse. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Why? For we know. Okay, we can rejoice because we know. Christ followers can rejoice in suffering because we know something that others don't. It's something that our faith, the Holy Spirit, enables us to know. The Holy Spirit reveals to us. It's kind of like insider information that those in the world know nothing of. Something we know something that god reveals this holy spirit reveals to us will cause us to have joy in our suffering and in our weariness so what is this thing that we know again paul continues and he says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know what that they help us develop what helps us develop problems and trials So Paul's saying, we know, we can rejoice because we know that problems and trials help us develop. You see, suffering, weariness, pain, our problems, the things we don't like, it does something. It accomplishes something. It's productive. It's of value. We know it works. And because we know it works, we can rejoice in that. It reminds me of, the day my first daughter was born Alex I asked my wife permission to tell this story so this was nearly 20 years ago it was 20 years ago and I'll never forget you never forget the birth of your firstborn and Tara and I were in the delivery room and my wife decided that she was going to wait to receive an epidural to see if she could have Alex naturally and so she was going through a tremendous amount of pain and yes i understand that as a man i have will have no um, i cannot imagine the amount of pain that women go through in childbearing having a child but my wife was there and was in a tremendous amount of pain and she says okay i'm i want an epidural now well we didn't know at the time that you just don't ask for an epidural and five minutes later There's processes and procedures, and it takes a bit of time. So I go out, and I talk to the doctors and nurses. I said, hey, my wife would like an epidural, and they're like, it's going to be an hour or so. And I'm like, oh, man. So I go in, and I did not tell my wife the amount of time it was going to take. I said, honey, they're coming. But in the middle of that, I could see the pain and the suffering, and finally it came. But in the middle of that, in the middle of the pain, there was joy. Now, why is there joy in childbirth, even though it's filled with pain? Because we know that there's a promise coming, that there's something good coming, that the pain will produce something beautiful, something you've waited for for quite some time. There are probably women watching this today who would be more than willing to endure the pain because they long for a child. Birthing a child, though it involves pain, it produces something. And we understand, we know, Paul says, that pain, misery, suffering, problems, trials, weariness, produces something. And what does pain produce? What does weariness produce? There's three things that we're going to look at today that Paul tells us pain produces Here's the first, and we're going to go to that text again. Paul writes, we can rejoice too. This is the verse we've continued to look at when we run into problems and trials. We can rejoice because we know. What do we know? We know that it helps us develop, here's the first thing, endurance. Paul says we can rejoice because we know that problems and trials produce endurance. Endurance. Now, I have used the word pain can produce steadiness, and I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But I want to highlight something. I said pain can produce steadiness. I didn't say pain produces steadiness because there are some, as we'll learn today, that will not allow pain to produce this. So it's important that we know that this is God's plan. God wants to use pain to produce in us endurance or steadiness now many of our children we're pretty much all learning virtually so what I thought I would do today is take us all to virtual school we're going to go and have um, a Greek word class today I'm going to teach you a couple words in Greek and here's the first this is the Greek word for endurance that Paul uses and it is pronounced hupomone Hoopomone. say it with me hupomone Very good. I appreciate you doing that. So hupomone, Greek for endurance, means perseverance, steadfast, fortitude, constant, steadiness. You see, pressure is something we want to get out from under. Paul is telling us that suffering teaches us to stay under, to persevere. Perseverance is the opposite of panic, opposite of bailing out. One of the best descriptive words that I believe can help us better understand what Paul is saying in what suffering can produce in us is the word steadiness. Pain produces steadiness in our Christian walk if we allow it to. Many of you have been Christians for years. Do you remember a time shortly after you first became a Christian when you really experienced a trial or suffering? You may have panicked in fear over what was happening. Maybe you even responded as the disciples did on the boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee when a storm was raging and they're on the boat and Jesus is sleeping. The disciples panicked. They ran to Jesus and they shook him and they said, wake up. Don't you know that we're about to die? And Jesus did then what he still does today. He says to us, don't panic. And then he looks at the storm And he says, peace, be still. And everything becomes calm. Everything becomes quiet. This is what suffering does. This is what problems and trials and uncertainty and weariness does in us. It steadies you. You go through a difficult season and you panic. You react out of fear. Then the Lord calms the storm and you think, thank God that's over. I'll never have to go through that again. But then only two weeks later, there's another storm. However, this time, you're a little more prepared. You're a little more steady. You're a little more equipped, and you don't quite panic or have fear the way you did before. You're not quite as shook up as you were. You've learned something. You've learned something about yourself You've learned something about God. You've learned you really can trust him. And you've learned just how gracious God is. You learned he can handle. And he will walk with you through unexpected events and tragedies in ways that you could have never dreamed or anticipated. You watch him work things out in ways that you never would have guessed. So the third, the fourth, the fifth time trial comes. You're steadier. You don't panic. You don't bail out. You stay under and you trust because you know God has your back. If you never suffered, if you never had problems, if you never had trial, if you were never weary, if you never experienced this, you would never have that gift from God. Pain produces steadiness. Here's the second thing pain can produce. Pain can produce steadiness authenticity let's go back to greek class here's the verse in romans paul says pain produces endurance and he says and endurance develops strength of character all right let's look at the word for strength of character the greek word for strength of character is dakame dakame say it with me dakame there you go two greek words you learned today Dakame means trustworthiness, reliability. It means being experienced or genuine. I like to say it's the real deal. Not only does suffering produce steadiness, but steadiness, Paul says, produces character. And this Greek word, as we just talked about, carries with it an idea of being put to the test and approved. It's the idea of being that real deal, genuine, Or, as I would like to suggest today, authentic. Steadiness produces authenticity. You see, as we remain steady in the midst of difficulties and in our weariness, our experience and our understanding grows and we become more authentic Christians. People who have learned what it means to trust God in uncertain times, people who are not fake or not phony, or not quoting Christianese that has no substance to it, no substance to it. No. Enduring and remaining under trials prepare us, and dare I say, they even qualify us to speak hope and truth to a weary world. Through difficulty, God, God builds you up so He can hold you up. It's through our trials and through our weariness. God holds us up and he said, he's approved. He's tested. She's the real deal. She's authentic. Hear my heart in this. Right now, I truly believe that God is using this year, 2020, that he's using this pandemic. And dare I say, he has even used this election to expose much about the faith of his people, both for the good and for the bad. I believe he is desiring to use our weariness to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. He is refining us. He is steadying us. He is developing in us an authenticity that this world desperately needs. People who genuinely have learned to trust him in all things. At least that's what I believe he wants to do in us if we would just allow him to. I heard a pastor once say that God is in the process of making veterans through our trials. I love that. A veteran is something who they've been through something. They've been tested and proven. Paul writes of his own pain of his own troubles that he experienced on here on earth look at this where paul writes he says that we think you ought to know that's my fault i was looking for them to put it up there and i told them not to so that's my bad. (laughs) paul writes in second corinthians one through eight he says we think you ought to know dear brothers and sisters Think about the trouble, he says, we went through in the province of Asia. Paul speaks of his experience, and he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. He's talking about his own experience. And he says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, listen to this, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely on God. Who raises the dead. And Paul says, He did rescue us from mortal danger, and He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him, and He will continue to rescue us. Paul is testifying about what God had brought him through. Now, that is a veteran speaking. He's been through some tough things, but he knows God can take him through them, and he will. Now, Paul isn't saying it's all over. He's not saying all my problems are done. In fact, he says there's more coming, but God will take us through. That's a veteran speaking. That's a steady and authentic Christian. If we allow it, not only will pain produce steadiness and authenticity in us, But I believe, the third point is that pain can produce a confidence in us. Now, we'll put this verse up. And endurance develops strength of character. That's that authenticity that I was talking about. And character, authenticity, strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The steadiness and authenticity produced by trials and suffering lead to our confident hope or the assurance of our salvation. We spent time last week Talking about how hope is not based on our desires, our personal feelings, or even wishful thinking. But rather, it's the assurance of who God is. It's the assurance of what God has promised and the hope he's already delivered through Jesus Christ. The assurance of our salvation in Christ Jesus. That assurance should produce in every Christian a holy confidence that if our circumstances bring us the worst... Our eternity is secured in heaven. Yet, this hope is also an assurance that the Holy Spirit is working within us through our trials. God is using our suffering and pain to make us more like Him. We are being changed. We see ourselves changing. We're becoming more like Jesus. Through our suffering, through our weariness, through our pain, we can see that, you know what, we're becoming more thoughtful, more compassionate. We're more loving. We're becoming more like Jesus, stronger, wiser, purer, more patient. To our amazement, a confidence grows in our hearts that God is doing his work just as he promised. He's using our pain to accomplish this. He's transforming us into the image of his son. If you remember anything today, in fact, if you're able to, I ask that you write this down. Here's the key point. We rejoice. This is why we can rejoice when we're weary. We rejoice in suffering because we know that God uses our pain. He uses our weariness to produce a steady, authentic, and confident faith. God is using our weariness to produce steady, authentic, and confident Christians. That's why we can rejoice. You are being transformed. You are being changed. So the good news today is that if you're weary like me, we can smile, not because of the pain, not to be fake or phony or because we like it, but because we know and we experience this, God's making us steady. He's making us more authentic, and he's making us confident. And this is the type of Christian that the world Needs to see. So as I end today, what does this have to do with Christmas? It has everything to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to continue. We looked at verses three through five, and this is what it has to do with Christmas. After those verses, Paul continues in writing, and he says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He goes on and says, now most people would be willing to die, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he certainly he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Here's what Christmas has to do with us rejoicing and suffering. Think of this. If God was willing to send his only son, Jesus, to become Emmanuel, God with us, to leave heaven, to sacrifice his son, For you and I, when we were bad in the midst of our sin, before salvation, if he was willing to do that for the world that has rejected him and continues to reject him, how much more does he love us now that we're his? Christmas is the greatest gift that Christ could ever give, that God could ever give. He demonstrated his ultimate love for you and I. And how much more will he stand with us today in the midst of our weariness? Father in heaven, I thank you. And today I want to give you thanks for the problems, the trials, and even the weariness. And Lord, it's hard for me to even thank you for that because it's not that we enjoy it. Because I see the pain. And I know there are so many who are hurting. But I thank you not for the trial and the problem and the weariness itself, but I thank you for what it produces. Because I believe that if we, your church, allow your Holy Spirit to work through us, that on the other side of this, you will have a remnant of people that are tried and true and tested. You will have a remnant of people that are steady, that are confident, and that are authentic. So, Lord, our hearts are open to do that in us today. By the power of your Spirit, let it be so. And everyone said, Amen.